Good morning. Welcome to Okotoks Calvary Fellowship. Thank you for joining us as we study through God's Word. Well, if you'll turn with me in your Bibles to the book of 1 Samuel, the book of 1 Samuel chapter 21 as we continue our verse-by-verse teaching through this wonderful book. And last time we were together, we saw that David had left Jonathan. He's now a fugitive. He's a man on the run. And we saw that he'd fled to the tabernacle of meeting, which was in Nob. And friends, I truly believe that David did the right thing in coming to church here. He came to the safety of the house of God to seek provision and to seek protection. However, he seemed to come on his own terms and not on God's. You know that it's possible for us to be doing the right thing and it still be very wrong. And that's because we're doing the right thing for the wrong reasons. You can be going to church, you can be worshiping, you can be fellowshipping with God's people. You can be even reading and studying God's Word, but you're not truly being fed by God's Word because you're not being obedient to what it tells you to do. And you're not being led by the power of the Holy Spirit. You're coming with your own agenda. You're still trying to do things in your own strength. You're still trying to figure it all out on your own. And so even though you may be doing and saying all the right things openly, you're actually being insincere because the proper focus is misplaced. You know, Jesus chastised the Pharisees for this very attitude in Matthew chapter 15, verse 8, when he said, These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Jesus also said in John 14, verse 15, He said, If you love me, keep my commandments. And that was the case with David here. He had gone to the tabernacle, which was a good thing. However, when he got there, what happened? He lied to the high priest, Ahimelech. He broke one of the commandments of the Lord to not bear false witness. He lacked the faith and trust in God to go before him and to fight the battle for him. He tried to manage things in his own strength. He tried to control his own circumstances and to take matters into his own hands. And in that act of disobedience, he set in motion events that would prove to be most tragic. And we'll see that next week. And as we continued along in the story, we saw a man named Duag who was a servant of King Saul. A man who was really like an informant or the secret police, so to speak. And a man who David knew was going to spell trouble for him. And so we saw how David, upon recognizing this man, was there in the tabernacle, asks Ahimelech, the high priest, 
if there were any weapons available that he could use. And it's interesting that David asked the question, do you have a sword or a spear? And I want you to think about that for a moment. Why does David need a sword? He fought Goliath without a sword. All he had were those five smooth stones in his sling. Couldn't the Lord just protect him like he had many other times before? But it would be easy for us to sit here and criticize David here for his lack of faith. But this is not necessarily a lack of faith on the part of David here. Friends, you need to understand that David's circumstances have changed. He's no longer walking out to face a single enemy one-on-one this time. He is now vulnerable from all sides and his life is in danger. He could literally be ambushed or attacked at any moment. And so I think in many ways he's merely being pragmatic. He's just taking the steps necessary to ensure he's prepared for any and all dangers. And friends, you need to understand that there was absolutely nothing wrong with him trying to protect himself. And there's nothing wrong for you to protect yourself or your family. There's nothing wrong with being prepared for potential danger. In fact, there's a responsibility for us to be prepared. But I want you to turn with me to Luke chapter 9 for a moment. Luke chapter 9. And what I want to do here is to contrast two specific interactions Jesus had with his disciples and then show how these changed circumstances changed their ultimate response to them. So Luke chapter 9, beginning at verse 1, it says, Then he called his twelve disciples together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. He sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And he said to them, Take nothing for the journey, neither staffs, nor bag, nor bread, nor money. And do not have two tunics apiece. Whatever house you enter, stay there and from there depart. And whoever will not receive you when you go out of that city, shake off the very dust from your feet as a testimony against them. So they departed and went through the towns preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. So notice that Jesus tells them to take nothing with them by way of supplies. Nothing. You guys just go out there in my name and I will provide for you everything that you need. Well, that's exactly what David did with Goliath. He went out And God provided for him. But now I want you to turn ahead to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22, beginning at verse 35, and I want you to notice the difference here. Verse 35 says, And it said to them, When I sent you without money bag, knapsack, and sandals, 
did you lack anything? So they said nothing. Then he said to them, but now he who has a money bag, let him take it. And likewise a knapsack, and he who has no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. For I say to you that this which is written must still be accomplished in me, and he was numbered with the transgressors. For the things concerning me have an end. So they said, Lord, look, here are two swords. And he said to them, it is enough. So here Jesus is preparing to send these disciples out into the world again, but this time he's telling them that they need to have a money bag. This time they need to bring supplies, and he's even telling them that they need to arm themselves because the time, you know, this time the circumstances have changed. And so, friends, this is exactly what was happening in David's world right now. He's not walking into a battle as basically an unarmed man. He's not facing his enemy one-on-one and trusting the Lord to deliver him. He's now walking into a field of landmines. He's now heading into a vast wilderness with enemies all around him. And even though he is trusting on the Lord to protect him, even though he's trusting on the Lord to honor his promises that were made to him, He is still being wise and he is still preparing for any and all danger in front of him. So let's go back to 1 Samuel chapter 21 and beginning at verse 9. It says, So the priest said, The sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Allah. There it is, wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you will take that, take it. For there is no other except that one here. And David said, there is none like it. Give it to me. So Ahimelech gives David the sword of Goliath. This is the same sword that David had won in his battle with Goliath. The same sword that the young David had used to cut off the head of Goliath. The sword that he had paraded through the streets And the same sword that had now become a national treasure and even a monument in Israel. My friends, that sword had become a symbol of God's power, a symbol of God's protection, a symbol of God's word and God's spirit. And David recognizes the uniqueness of both the sword and what it represents. And so what does he do with it? Well, look at verse 10. Then David arose and fled that day from before Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. Now, friends, I really hope the irony of this is not lost on you. David flees because of the present danger that is surrounding him. He's fleeing from Saul. And so what does he do? He takes the sword of Goliath and where does he run to? He bolts out of Israel entirely. He goes to see a king by the name of Achish from a different kingdom. And he heads off to a city in another country altogether. He travels to a city called Gath. Now in case you haven't connected the dots here yet, 
Gath is one of the five major cities in Philistia. Achish was the king of Philistia and the Philistine people. And Goliath was a Philistine who came from that very city of Gath. So get this picture in your mind. David was the one responsible for killing their champion. He's the man who humiliated their entire nation and now he's fleeing for his life and he goes to the kingdom and to the very king he humbled. And he has in his possession the trophy of that humiliation, the sword of Goliath. But if that wasn't enough, there's more. I feel like a Ronco commercial, but wait, there's more. Have you heard the old adage, his fame has preceded him? Well, my friends, David was a hero to the people of Israel. He had defeated Goliath. He had demoralized the Philistines in battle. And he even had a hit song written about him. Remember? Saul is slain his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. Well, my friends, think about that. David had slain ten thousands. Ten thousand who? Philistines. And I have to admit that I have no idea what was running through David's mind here. I mean, how on earth did he think he could enter this place and not be recognized? How could he think he could just blend in unnoticed? You know, I've spent many years working with various musicians in my life. And I've seen them in their obscurity before they ever achieved any form of notoriety. And then something breaks for them. And now everybody knows who they are. Everybody recognizes them. Everyone wants a piece of them. Everyone wants an autograph or a picture or a conversation. Well, if David was public enemy number one to King Saul, how much more of a public enemy would he have been to King Achish? And at least in Israel, the people loved David. But in Gath, all these people would have hated him. Well, look at verse 11 and see their response upon seeing David. And the servants of Achish said to him, Is this not David, the king of the land? Did they not sing of him to one another in dances, saying, Saul is slain his thousands and David his ten thousands? Now, there's a very interesting question that was asked within this verse. Did you see it? Look at it again. It says, is this not David, the king of the land? They're referencing, referencing David as the king when clearly it was still Saul. Now, you can ask all manner of questions. Could they have possibly been informed via the grapevine 
that David was maybe the king in waiting? Could news have leaked that David had already been anointed king? Could this merely have just been the perception that they had of David? Like, because David certainly acted more like a king than Saul did. Or could this even have been innocently prophetic? We don't know. But regardless, it's clear that David is not going to be flying under the radar here. He's not going to be able to hide amongst these people. And he's been recognized, and everyone is fully aware of who he is. And you can just picture the scene, can't you? Imagine David walking in the streets, and the people are all pointing and whispering, that's David. And you can just sense David feeling like the boy that got caught with his hand in the cookie jar. It was like this bright spotlight was suddenly cast upon him and it terrified him. Look at verse 12. It says, Now David took these words to heart and was very much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. And so what does David do? Look at the beginning of verse 13. It says, So he changed his behavior before them. You know, my friends, this is a danger for for every one of us, when we enter into the enemy's territory. Because we're prone then to change our behavior. And we begin to conduct ourselves as unbelievers do. We change our actions. We change our speech. We change the way we respond to certain things. And we see here that David changed his behavior before them. Continue on in verse 13. It says, Pretended madness in their hands, scratched on the doors of the gate, and let his saliva fall down on his beard. Now, friends, we know that David was a very artistic, musical man. But apparently his artistic talents didn't cease with music. Because apparently he was a tremendous actor. Because they bought it. But verse 14 says, Then Achish said to his servants, Look, you see, the man is insane. Why have you brought him to me? Have I need of madmen that you have brought this fellow to play the madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? Now, it's important for us to understand that in ancient times, any form of mental illness was considered like a plague. It was considered as an affliction from the gods. And anyone who manifested any form of mental instability whatsoever, you know, things such as insanity or madness, dementia, you know, even things like demon possession. These people were often abused and mistreated, expelled, cast out. And David undoubtedly was aware of this. 
And I think that's why he decided to play the mad card. He was in the enemy's domain and territory and he changed his behavior before them. Friends, when you and I go into the world, when we enter the enemy's territory, we encounter worldly people. And when we get in that environment, we often become afraid to fly our colors as believers in Jesus Christ. And we often assimilate their characteristics, their traits, and we become like those within the environment that we're in, don't we? Look, it's generally much easier for us to walk uprightly when we're amongst other believers. But when we're surrounded by unbelievers, we are inclined to compromise and to act like they act. You know, Psalm 1, verse 1 in the NIV tells us, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers. I want you to notice the progression here. It begins just walking the way that they're walking. Just in our everyday rubbing shoulders with them. But then it moves to standing in the way or just hanging out. Until finally it progresses to sitting down with them and fully participating in their behavior. You see the transition? And so we are being influenced by the world instead of being influencers. And often we're being changed. You know, are we being changed by the world or are we being the instruments of change? You know, Martin Luther King Jr. gave a brilliant analogy in his letter from the Birmingham jail. And the comparison that he used was between that of a thermometer and a thermostat. I'm not going to read the whole thing. But we as believers in Christ need to be a thermostat, not a thermometer. thermometer merely just goes up and down a thermostat a thermometer only registers the temperature in the environment in other words if the temperature's cold it displays cold if it's hot it displays hot if the people around us are behaving a certain way then we behave a certain way but we need to be thermostats because thermostats set the temperature. We need to be the ones who are setting the standard. We need to the, be the ones who are influencing those around us. Now you may remember a few weeks back when Saul sent his men to David's house to kill him. And we talked about how cool it would be 
if we were able to get inside the hearts and minds of the great men and women of the Bible when they were in the midst of their struggle. You know, what thoughts may have been going through their minds while it happened, what their emotions were, you know, that they were experiencing, or even the prayers that they may have been offering to God in the midst of it all. And then we were able to see that David had actually written a psalm, Psalm 59, in the midst of that specific event. And we were able to actually see the thoughts and prayers of David as he was going through them. Well, this morning in the time that we have remaining, I'd like to show for you a glimpse of David's heart during and after this event because David actually wrote two psalms about these particular set of events. So turn with me to Psalm 56. Psalm 56. And the first thing that I'd like you to notice is the title and the description given to this psalm. Because in my Bible, it's entitled Prayer for Relief from Tormentors. And it says, to the chief musician set to the silent dove in distant lands. That would have obviously been a popular tune of the day. A victim of David when the Philistines captured him in Gath. And there's some interesting information that we see right here in the description. Notice it says, when the Philistines captured him in Gath. And what this tells us is that David was not only recognized in Gath, but he was actually captured by the Philistines. And if he was captured by them, we can infer that David was also being tormented by the Philistines before feigning madness. Well, let's just look at a few verses here to see David's frame of mind. Verse 1 begins... Be merciful to me, O God, for man would swallow me up. Fighting all day, he oppresses me. My enemies would hound me all day, for there are many who fight against me. O Most High, whenever I am afraid, I will trust in you. In God, I will praise his word. In God, I have put my trust. I will not fear what can flesh do to me? And just from these few verses here, it appears to reveal to us that this behavioral change in David or this theatrical performance of madness was not merely a quick performance and then everything was well again. Because David speaks of being oppressed. He speaks of being hounded all day by his enemies. And this is referring to a specific event because of the title itself. It's referring to this event. He's being hounded all day by his enemies. He speaks of many fighting against him here. This isn't just one or two 
people poking at him. But he also speaks about being afraid and the fear that he felt. But I also find it interesting here that he says in verse 3 and 4, whenever I'm afraid, I will trust in you. In God, I will praise his word. In God, I have put my trust. I will not fear. What can flesh do to me? Now let me ask you something here. Did David fully put his trust in God here? No. At least not at first. Now, he did eventually get there, just not right away. So this is definitely not being written in the heat of the battle. It's being written in retrospect. But we do get a glimpse into David's heart and mind in that moment, don't we? What he was feeling in that moment. Well, now I want you to turn over to Psalm 34. This is one of my very, very favorite psalms. And here we see David well after he has been rescued by the Lord. And again, I'd like you to look at the title in the description here. See, in my Bible, it's entitled The Happiness of Those Who Trusted God. Wow, contrast that with the other title. The happiness of those who trusted God. A psalm of David when he pretended madness before Abimelech, who drove him away and he departed. Now immediately you're going to notice that the description uses Abimelech, not Achish. Why is that? Well, let me deal with that right here. Abimelech was not actually a name of a specific person. Rather, it is a title. In Egypt, you had the pharaohs. In Rome, you had the Caesars. And in Philistia, the Philistines had the Abimelechs. So whoever was the leader at that particular point in time in Philistia would have been the Abimelech. Now, just as a side, we do see another Abimelech mentioned in the book of Judges. The father of Gideon, a judge. Uh, don't get confused, it's not the same person. Anyhow, this description could read Abimelech, a.k.a. Achish, who drove him away. Well, let's quickly look at the first eight verses here in Psalm 34. It says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked to him and were radiant and their faces were were not ashamed. This poor man cried out to the Lord, or cried out, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see 
that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Do you see the difference in the tone of this psalm? David is looking back on all of the struggle, on all of the fear that he's experienced, and he can now see clearly how the hand of the Lord had protected and delivered him. And he can really see how he has learned to trust in God's loving care upon him. So friends, I can't help but ask the question, why did David go to Gath in the first place? Why did he go where he knew he had to have known what would have waited him there? And friends, that same question applies to each one of us here this morning. Why would we intentionally enter into enemy territory? Why would we intentionally try to live in the world? Why would we foolishly flirt with an environment that is designed to bring harm upon you? You know, I don't know why David chose to flee to Gath. Maybe he was trusting in the sword of Goliath to protect him. Maybe he was trusting in his past successes or victories. Maybe he was trusting in his own reputation, but he wasn't trusting in the Lord at that point in time. Was he? And whatever it was that drove him, it was very unwise of him to do it. But you know, friends, sometimes the Lord will allow us to do some pretty stupid things. Sometimes the Lord will allow us to fail miserably. Sometimes the Lord will allow us to go through some very, very harsh circumstances. Sometimes the Lord will allow us to face pain and sorrow and utter humiliation all in order to teach us, in order to strengthen us, in order for us to learn how to trust and to rely on Him completely. And friends, we can see what David's takeaways were from these circumstances. We can see the lessons that he learned here in these two psalms. Whenever I'm afraid, I will trust in you. In God, I will praise his word. In God, I have put my trust. I will not fear. What can flesh do to me? And I sought the Lord and he heard me. And he delivered me from my fears. As we close, I want to ask you, do you trust him this morning? Not do you trust about him. Do you really put the full weight of your trust in him this morning? 
you fully trust in his word? Do you rely on Jesus completely and totally in all circumstances? Let's pray together, Father. You've told us to cast all our care upon you because you care for us. Not some of it. Not give it to you and take it back. Your word tells us to trust in you with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength. And Lord, how often we try to do all of those things. I trust in me with my heart, my soul, my mind, my strength. I can figure it out. I'm strong enough. I can do it. And when I can't, then I'll bring you in on it, Lord. Lord, you put David in a position where he had no choice but to trust you. You put him in the fire of affliction to refine him. And when he came out, we start to see your workmanship, that you were, what you were working in him and the, the ability that he had to trust in you despite the circumstances that he was in. And Lord, we need to humble our hearts before you. We need to submit our lives to you. We need to allow you to reign in and through us. We need to be guided each day each moment by the power of your Holy Spirit leading and guiding us into all truth leading and guiding us into what we should say in that moment where we go from a situation where we don't know what to say and you've promised you say you'll give us the words in that moment But you've also told us to study to show ourselves approved unto God and to always be ready to give an answer of the reason of the hope that's within us. So Lord, help us to trust in you and not in our own strength. Help us not to flirt with the world and the enemy. Not even flirt with it, Lord but Lord, nestle in close to your side and allow you to work in and through us. Thank you, Lord, for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. Thank you for listening. If you guys have any questions, comments, or concerns, please feel free to message us on our Facebook page or on Instagram. God bless.